Major support for Out to Lunch provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937, now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at joneswalker.com. Additional support for Out to Lunch from Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank and Resource Management, Inc. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're Out to Lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Once a week, I have lunch at Commander's Palace and invite guests from the world of New Orleans business to join me. One of the things I've discovered hosting this show is not just the amazing range of innovative businesses that have sprung up in New Orleans, but the amazing people behind them. My guests today both have incredible stories of success. Not the typical kind of business success we talk about on this show, but in what they left behind to pursue the businesses they're in today. Kendra Jones Morris was an international business ambassador, a mediator between Fortune 500 companies and local communities that companies were expanding into. That experience inspired Kendra to found Rural Revolution, a company committed to empowering female entrepreneurs by connecting female artisans in developing regions of the world with sales ambassadors here in the United States. Mary Lee Murphy was a professor of English literature, a church administrator, and an advertising executive before devoting herself to education. Mary Lee is the development director of City Year New Orleans, an organization founded as a response to Hurricane Katrina, dedicated to keeping kids in school. Mary Lee, Kendra, thank you so much for coming. Thank, thank you. And I, we got a little surprise a few minutes ago that you know each other. We yes. that. I knew Love this. It. This I was love not our planned. Small little world. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big restaurant, but it's a small world. They, uh, uh, now, Kendra, I understand rural revolution. You're going to parts of the world where women are making indigenous art, and you're acting as an agent selling their work in the United States. You're opening them up to a market they would never have access to any other way. But you go one step further. The salespeople in the U.S. are self-employed women who sell these artisan crafts by direct sales. So it's a self-perpetuating international women's empowerment movement in some way. Um, did this concept slowly dawn on you, or was there an inciting incident uh, that propelled you to create this? It's always had lots of different forms. So it's all about telling women's stories. So it was working as a cultural liaison in these different developing nations and realizing that if you empower the people to tell their stories the way that they do it, but you do it in a Western market in ways that empower the women that promote it, the women that sell it, and the women that make it, then you're employing more women at one with one sale. And that was the idea. And the background that you had worked pretty well with here, where you were that liaison between these big companies. And what would be an right. example of something you were doing there? Okay, uh, well specifically I was um, a cultural liaison between Royal Caribbean, Fortune 500 company, and the Jamaican government. And so what I did was I proposed this concept of they're building a new port, how to keep things historically intact, how to keep things, how to keep money in the urban and rural environments directly around that port, and how to train people. So we were, we were building up workshops on how to train um, the skill sets that they already had, but make them appealing to a, a Western market. And that's what we're still trying to do is how do you take skill sets that women have and make it desirable to the Western market? So originally I thought you were one of those people that helped uh, corporations uh, deal with the manners and such of different, of different parts around the world. But you were, this yeah. was a much bigger role. This was uh, uh, like when you mentioned the rural Caribbean mm -hmm. idea, that really, uh, 
that make that makes sense to me because so yeah. many times corporations do business in a in a country, and the actual average citizen gets nowhere out of it, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, and so, and that that is that's always been my goal is is how do you empower the people? I was raised in a rural community, hence why it has a really hard name, rural yes, revolution. Yes, that's why you didn't call it urban revolution, which right. would have been. A whole and that's why. Um, because I think that there's a, a real gap. You know, people always think that there's this controversy or there's this um, friction between urban and rural environments. But I think if you take those rural principles and you bring them to an urban environment, you'll see how similar people are. Rural and urban environments, those are the people that are creating solutions to problems. Suburbia is consuming those solutions. But the rural and urban areas are the people that are actually creating it. And that's why I think it's so important that the two work together. And, and you were sort of born to do this, right? Your parents were in the Peace Corps and... Uh... Right. And I think that they were a, a prime example. You know, there are a couple different instances in my life that have, have impacted the way I view how we help people. And one was my parents had never been on an airplane before. They had lost two children and they went to the post office, said, we'll go anywhere. They joined the Peace Corps. And then they were asked to be um, to become directors in the Peace Corps. They were voted most likely to succeed. And it was based on their rural principles of how to help people help themselves and empowering people. And I think that if we look at that in terms of how we assist people, and there's some great books out there like When Helping Hurts or an economist named William Easterly um, that really impacted me in college called White Man's Burden. And the, the idea that if you empower people and you give them ownership, employment, entrepreneurism, if you encourage those skill sets, then you're going to change in a long-standing format as opposed to short-term. Well, after reading both of your backgrounds, I know why you know each other. A, you're, both, <laughs> you're both good folks. So Mary Lee, a lot of people were inspired in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina to do something different to work in the community. That was seven years ago now, but you're still getting up every morning and dedicating yourself to keeping at-risk kids in school. And it's not like this is the only job you could get. You've been in advertising, business, academia. Um, this career path is obviously a conscious choice that you've made. Uh, why did you decide to do it? Was it something in you? Uh, were you looking for something more meaningful? Or was it something specific about City Year that attracted you to this path? Probably a combination yeah. of a number of things. Um, you know, Kendra talked a lot about seeing people empowered. And when I moved to New Orleans 13 years ago, and you came from the great state of... Mississippi. That's right. Thank you. Okay. Um, I had just finished um, I just finished getting my master's degree in English, and I was confronted with something, um, for me, really monumental during that time, for the first time, um, when I was teaching freshman composition. And I had, as, at a state university, the University of Mississippi... Um, great place to study English, home of William oh, Faulkner. Oh, sure, you had them all. Um, and other writers as well. But I was teaching freshman English to students who came both out of the Mississippi Delta as well as out of college prep um, boarding schools in Tennessee. I was confronted with such um, just varied educational backgrounds and um, the Mississippi Delta historically has very, very poor public schools and I was confronted with how in the world am I supposed to do an effective job teaching these, you know, college prepared students as well as students who graduated from high school and came to college barely writing. And I was, um, I'd, I'd never encountered that before and I had an incredible sense of guilt 
about my own privileged background and I didn't know what to do about it. So when I moved to New Orleans um, in 1999, 99, yeah, 99, um, at the time, New Orleans had the worst school districts in the country. And I had this heart ambition that I was going to move here and volunteer in the public schools. And I tried to call some school board members and I said, I'm, I've just moved here. I'd love, I'd love to volunteer. And the reception wasn't? I didn't get any return phone calls. Really? <laughs> was, you know, this is during a time when our superintendents were turning over once a year, twice a year. We were putting military colonels in there trying to, I mean, it was just this, just this hopeless situation. So then when the storm came, and that was such an unbelievable thing to sit in Jackson, Mississippi, watching the news for four or five days in my brother's house that had electricity. Only 3% of the city had electricity, and we're all crawling on top of each other, and I'm watching the, this just this Lord of the Flies scenario <laughs> taking place, this apocalyptic thing on, on the streets that I walk on every day, and um, really just utterly devastated and then I get a call from my employer at the time Peter Mayer advertising and public relations you know we have this satellite office Baton Rouge how quickly can you get there I'm like I'm there I'm there and I'm driving down I-55 and I have this moment of clarity which is this sort of devastation might actually mean that we could rebuild our schools and it was the first bright moment I had had and I literally saw the clouds part a little bit so then a few years later, I had the opportunity this to go work for... This is a religious moment for, on I-55. It really this was. was incredible. It really, really was. And, Most people um, just at the Stuckies there, but you, was, <laughs> you had bigger goals. As the <laughs> it was the first moment of hope I had had. And so then to see what has happened in the last seven years has been thrilling. And so f when I had the opportunity to work for an education nonprofit devoted to keeping at-risk students in school, I jumped at the opportunity. And Marilee, to help us out with... Uh, City Year is part of AmeriCorps, is that right? It they is an AmeriCorps program. over in a program. hostile takeover or something like that? It's, there? it's an AmeriCorps program. In fact, President Clinton started AmeriCorps based on what he saw of this nonprofit that grew out of Boston called City Year. And he said to the, the um, founders, he's like, I want to take this national. And he founded AmeriCorps. And so City Year is now an AmeriCorps program, one of AmeriCorps programs. Well, you know, the first time I saw City Year was I was in Boston and I was uh, up early in the morning and there was a group of young people out there doing calisthenics in the morning and then they, and it turned out that was City Year and then oh. after, the, after the calisthenics, they all went out to, to save the city and it, was, it really worked out pretty great. They, uh, now, um, getting back to, back to City Year, I mean, we, we have a definition of them, but what do they actually do? Because I see them advertised. One of the things I see is that um, on campus, they do a lot of recruiting for uh, college graduates, at, I see a Tulane. What, what, how would you start that conversation? So, you know, you, you um, are from Boston where it started, and it started as a service organization at home in the United States. In the last um, several years, it has really honed that service in on our greatest need, which is serving in schools. And it's a really entrepreneurial um, approach to solving a real um, human resources deficit in our schools. Um, so our core members are um, right out of high school or in college or have just graduated from college, and they devote a year of service to a city and serve in schools as full-time 
tutors and mentors. And um, within, we put the in, within the school, okay. we put in teams of 10. And when you have 10 extra adults who are trained in numeracy and literacy training and behavior intervention, you can have a real impact on the culture of the school. You can have a real impact on a classroom so that students um, who need that extra help and attention can get it. And we can really impact um, the dropout crisis. A million students drop out every year. We're 50, in, in, in the United US, States, 50% okay. um, of those students come from 12% of the schools. We put our teams of core members in those 12% that are producing the most dropouts. Now, when I was reading, reading about you, Mary Lee, one of the things that hit me was that you focus on the, is it like third graders to ninth graders? Is, that must be where you think the, the, the problems occur, I guess. Mm -hmm, that's correct. So statistically, if, if a student can arrive in 10th grade, can make it to 10th grade on track, he, has, he or she has a four, um, is four times more likely to graduate from high school. It's between third grade and ninth grade that students got to, has got to um, graduate each year. Um, that's where we see the most students develop the warning indicators that they might drop out. Attendance problems, behavior problems, failure in one or two courses. Um, that's where those um, behavioral um, patterns are really developed between the third and the ninth grade where they can still be impacted with with help so if we focus on the third through the ninth grade and help get students back on track you know the fifth grader that's at the third grade level the sixth grader that's at the fourth grade level get them back on track and keep them on track to 10th grade they are more likely to graduate from high school and if they graduate from high school they are less likely to end up in jail or on the streets or um, so that's what we're fighting for. Now, now Kendra, uh, uh, yeah. one of the things I liked when I read about read about you is you you were an entrepreneur early on. You you uh, you did a movie, right? A film yeah. and you funded it by taking the walnuts from your f family's home and turning them into a um, is it a body lotion? Uh, a body scrub. Yeah. So that was actually that's what I was wow. saying. Wow. Do you have that with you? You're I, no longer in the I don't. Um, but yeah, it was a it was like in, endorsed by celebrities and it was in the trash magazines and was in the Emmy gift bags. And um, so I just saw that that formula worked. I saw that if you tell a story, if you have a high-end quality product, that people respond to it. And then I thought it's a great visual reminder. Whenever you put that story on a label, people have to be reminded of somebody else's story every day. And so when I saw that it worked for me, then I wanted to focus on doing it for other people. And that's when I started tapping back into some of the NGOs I'd worked with. Um, Throughout the throughout the world, and started That's trying to develop non-governmental organizations. Right. Okay. Uh -huh. Yep. Probably the first thing people were asking is where could they, where could they get these items? I mean, uh, yeah, they can yeah. get them online. They can get them. Um, we carry it in different boutiques here in town. Um, Hemline, Hattie Sparks, which is uptown. And then, then there are several several online platforms that are starting to focus on people like Rural Revolution, where they're starting to carry their products, products that are just socially minded companies and carrying their products online. And these sales ambassadors, are they yeah. all over the country? We're doing a very grassroots approach. We do a lot of work with different sororities. And so, you know, we wow. find like, you know, that tapping into that college market. Um, they're very aggressive. The sorority girls are very black and white. They're going to like, you put an assignment in front of them and they're going to run with it. 
And then when we get older, we don't respond as well, apparently. No, 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 we no, do. no, 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 no. I yeah. agree with that, really. But yeah, you can definitely uh, create. If you tell them it's on the midterm, they'll study anything, really. Yeah, it's, uh, exactly. I found that over over the time. What? And um, I should ask you this: Is what brought you to New Orleans? You, you grew up yeah. in Missouri. What, yeah. what? Uh, well, my husband and I did the artist entrepreneur thing, lived in on the coast, and then he received a professorship position at Dillard teaching film, and then he's a filmmaker as well. And New Orleans is a perfect city for us. It's a it's a city of startups and it's a city of filmmaking. Wow, I'm glad I live here. Well, this is the time we check our inbox, and our producer picks a question that's come in from a listener. Uh, Grant, what have you got? Peter, we've got a question today. Came in on Facebook from Jane O'Reilly, who asks, there are continuing cries to reform the tax code to do away with loopholes and deductions. Would taking away the deduction for charitable donations make a significant difference to nonprofits, or do you think decent, good-hearted people would continue to donate anyway? Grant, that's a great question. Because you know, you've heard this uh, about changing the tax code, and you would limit how much you could actually give away. Um, I understood where that was coming from, uh, but... I, reached, I heard it and I thought, God, this is going to be hurting somebody. Do you think that would that would put a dent in? I think I think originally they were talking about seventeen thousand dollars was the most any yeah, person could I give think away. I definitely, would. definitely would give a dent. Yeah, we're not an we we Real Revolution operates operates as an L three C status, which is a nonprofit heart, but operates as an LLC. But I know that we could get a lot more funding because we're not really eligible for, fun, for funding because foundations typically don't give to L three Cs. There's some talk about that they can, but. So I think that for a nonprofit, I think that's your, your heart and soul oh, is, don- is donations. Absolutely. I don't care what need your to, motive is yeah. in giving. I really don't. If it's to get a tax write-off, that's fine. Mm-hmm. I, it helps us do our work. So, yeah, I would not be. So that kind of changed you. It could. Now we're going to take a, a look at our lunch money. Lunch money is our out-to-lunch stock portfolio, which has actually oh, been yeah. doing very well. You know, the, the uh, stock market has been doing quite well. But we always ask you guys for a, for a stock pick, and um, that's what we'd like to do. So we're building this portfolio of stocks we choose each week uh, from our guests. And, and Kendra, uh, maybe I'll, I'll start with you. Uh, do let me preface this by saying I apologize for leading anybody astray if mine is poorly picked. Oh, thank but God. We <laughs> forgot to do that disclaimer. This is good. Yes. <laughs> um, I chose waste management because one thing I noticed oh. over and over, because, like, so we're focused on jewelry, but the whole concept is that we're seeing what is sustainable. And one thing I would notice, whether or not you're in rural America, whether or not you're in urban environments, or if you're, as soon as you get off the plane in Jamaica, it is trash. And turning trash into energy, I think is something that's really interesting. And they're at the forefront as far as how much that they're investing in startup companies turning trash into energy. Well, that's great. The stock's at WM and uh, yeah. trades in the, I think it's about $33 a share or something in, something in that area. That's mm-hmm. a, it's funny, when my, my boys were young and we'd go to Mardi Gras parades, that was their favorite part of the parade was the, the, the waste management trucks at oh, the yeah. end. So uh-huh. there's us. So the, well, that's a good pick. We have not had that one yet. Mary Lee, what, what would you like? I chose Google. Right. And um, partly because Google has been a real friend to the New Orleans entrepreneurial movement. And, wh- and I've heard that a couple of times. What are some they've, of the things they've done? Um, well, they have partnered, for example, with Idea Village and um, have provided, I believe, some training and um, brought a lot of their expertise to to that organization and um, the, the challenges, the entrepreneurial challenge and training young entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and um, 
both of both of the organizations represented at this table right now are entrepreneurial in spirit, um, as is my own organization. And so, um, plus, I just I think they're smart. I like all the. I think they're they've evolved a lot over the years and provided their their services have really increased. And um, and I like the way they change their homepage on special days. Yes, I like that to part fun too. Things. They uh, <laughs> sometimes you see the little Google Map car guy it. around too. That's uh, yeah, that's very exciting. Yeah. There's a uh, Kendra Jones Morris, Mary Lee Murphy. It's been a real pleasure to have lunch with you today. You're both doing extraordinary work. You have a mix of entrepreneurship, grit, selfless dedication that in the past era we used to associate with nuns. And I know you are not nuns, <laughs> although you both go to the same church. Yes. But but no nuns, as far as I know. They, um, I, I don't mean that in any way other than complimentary, both to you and, of course, the nuns. But uh, you're both extraordinary New Orleanians. Thanks for everything you're doing to make the world and our city a better place. And thanks for joining me on Out to Lunch today. Thank you so much. You guys have a great story. Uh, my guests on Out to Lunch today have been Kendra Jones-Morris, founder of Rural Revolution, and Mary Lee Murphy, development director of City Year New Orleans. To find out more about Kendra's business and Mary Lee's nonprofit, follow the links on our websites, itsneworleans.com and wwno.org. Our show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. The web designer and digital guru is Dr. Cliff Brigden. Jennifer Smith is our researcher. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can keep up with our continuing adventures in Crescent City Commerce by liking It's New Orleans on Facebook. And you can get in touch with us or sign up for our mailing list at itsneworleans.com. And you can follow us on Twitter. We're at It's New Orleans. To listen to past shows or get the show as a podcast, go to wwno.org or itsneworleans.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting and WWNO for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. Until we meet again around the table here at Commander's Palace, I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937. Now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at joneswalker.com. Additional support for Out to Lunch from Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank and Resource Management, Inc.